Alrighty, I think think we're live. Okay, welcome Barbary to the Under the Sea podcast. Uh, you're my first guest. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for thanks for inviting me, Sponge. Uh, glad to be here, and let's pray for some clear audio. <laughs> yeah, no. Hopefully, the audio gods bless us. I uh, just want to say a couple of words about you know what this is going to be before we uh, really get into it. Um, so I wanted to start this podcast as a way of highlighting the really unique characters and talent that we found in the jungle. Um, I found a really wonderful and vibrant community here, and I think that you know we need to take a moment to personalize a lot of the voices that we see on Twitter. And I think that, you know, this sort of an interview setting, which can happen either one-on-one -on -one and eventually it might evolve into getting a few groups on here to discuss really cool topics. I think that's going to add a lot of value because it lets us discuss stuff in a lot more detail than, you know, you can fit in 240 characters, right? And a lot of us have really complex thoughts, you know, and uh, like Barbara does, right? You know, is Barbara going to explain, you know, everything about psychedelics or, you know, spirituality in a couple of tweets, even a thread? I mean, certainly less than he could. Uh, in person. So I hope to hear a whole lot about that from you. And uh, it's gonna be fun. Alrighty. So Barbara, let's, let's get started, man. Let's go, go from the basics. Uh, what are you all about? Give me the elevator speech. Elevator speech. Isn't that cliche? What is that? What does that even mean anymore? We're not in elevators. We're on zoom and Streamyard and Twitter and whatnot. I can't remember the last time I've been in an elevator. <clears throat> <laughs> but yeah, but still, like, I mean, it, just uh, to, get, to get started, right? I mean, so you're on Twitter. I see you talking a lot uh, about individual sovereignty, right? My sovereignty of the mind, spirituality, psychedelics. It, what, what... it comes from, well, the book Sovereign Individual, which is almost as old as many of us, if not older than some of us. And sovereign individual is so accurate in describing what's going on. It's as if it was written a month ago, but yet it was written in the 90s. Could you give us a brief summary of the things that you thought Absolutely. were valuable from that? First of all, these authors predicted cryptocurrency. They called it cyber money, but they said there would be an uncensorable Caesar, uh, seizure resistant money in cyberspace using uh, over the internet, using cryptography, and that cyber money is a catalyst for the decline of nation states, that money would be separated from government. And eventually we'd transition from the industrial age to the information age in which the power of nation states decline because their ability to collect taxes declines. And that comes from the fact that all property is yours to the extent that you can defend it, that you have an army. Well, what cyber money or Bitcoin does is it, it separates money and state. For the first time in history, your property rights are yours, not because you have an army to defend it, but because of asymmetric encryption. And that fundamental change, analogous to the printing press 500 years ago, which allowed everyday people to learn to read, and interpret information for themselves, separated production of knowledge in state. We call it religion in state, but really it was the ability to read. The cyber money and sovereign individual 
creates a, a world of sovereign individuals because now governments are competing like businesses for customers, formerly taxpayers, money. And, and taxes are really an extortion racket where you're you're paying taxes for someone for protection. But because of that asymmetrical power, because they have the army, they have the police state, you are paying for those services, but you're not getting good quality for a good price because at the end of the day, you don't have a choice. Government is a monopoly of violence. And this book written in the 90s predicted the rise of, of cryptocurrency and you'd have more decentralized communities online and offline. You have city-states almost analogous to the, the Middle Ages. And in that cyberspace is like international water. Why do we call it international water sponge? Uh, I mean, you tell me, man. It's because the laws aren't governed yet. I mean, international waters, it seems like the captain makes his own rules for the ship, right? Isn't that how that goes? Absolutely. SpongeBob makes his own rules. <laughs> My rules apply on the other sea. Do you think uh, governments haven't tried to dominate and monopolize the, the sea? I mean, I'm sure they have, but I mean, the sea is a little bit too big for them. I mean, absolutely, I, absolutely. You're, a, you're feeding me the answers I wanted. The sea is too damn big. Hey, man, the sea is my domain. I get this stuff naturally, bro. <laughs> Can't help it. I absorb it all. Simulation vibes. It's in my nature. Cyberspace is like international water on steroids. No one has a monopoly of violence, a, a dominance over cyberspace. So like international waters where you have a kind of free-for-all in cyberspace, it's a super free-for-all and that it's, it's not so much that, you know, governments will immediately lose their ability to tax. It's that when some people can move their money outside across jurisdictions, they can send value cyber money anywhere in the world, anytime, 10,000 miles away, 10,000 days in the future. Now governments are losing the ability to tax. So what do they tax from? Increasingly from real estate and retirement accounts and physical assets they ha they have control over. So it's kind of like, it's it's like how Detroit still exists, but New York's doing better than Detroit because people and money left Detroit. So the authors kind of dive into strategies for relocating offshore. Now at the time the book was written, there was no cryptocurrency. So they had different offshore tax strategies, the Cayman Islands and Panamas. Well, now we all got a Panamanian bank account in our pocket. Thank you, Satoshi. Yeah, and the implications from being sovereign individuals. And, and here's where kind of the niche I'm trying to develop brand here is, is mind, body, spirit. So there's your physical health, let's say fasting, keto or carnivore diet mental health, let's say meditation and psychedelics, and also fasting to an extent. You could throw yoga in for physical health and, and lifting and uh, going outside, getting sunshine. Uh, and then also spiritual health can be family relationships and expanding your consciousness uh, through, of course, we've talked previously, psychedelics and, and meditation and so on. And it's, it's having sovereignty over your mind, your thoughts, not being polluted with the noise of the mainstream media and the Twitter and social media crowds and every asshole on the street. It's sovereignty over who you are, whatever that is, and what you want to do. And under the theme of sovereign individuals, it's 
Uh, if you haven't watched it, I recommend you watch it. Jack Mauler, whatever his name was, of Strike, at the Bitcoin Miami conference on Saturday, he introduced the president of El Salvador putting Bitcoin as legal tender in El Salvador, adopting Bitcoin as their reserve currency. And, and Jack Mauler, he keeps he said a couple times in the video, he's like, we will die in this fucking hill. We will die in this hill. And it's. I mean, are, are you concerned they actually are going to die on the hill? I mean, because yes. that was the first that was the first thought that crossed my mind. See, that is the not, first I, thought that crossed I, my mind too. But I think I think yeah, you and I were tweeting about this right a few days ago. Yes. And uh, I mean, well, when I saw that the president of El Salvador went ahead and actually adopted it as a reserve currency, like I'm just like, oh, okay. So we started the Iraq War because Saddam tried to sell oil on the euro. Yes. Uh, I'm not really sure exactly what the GDP of El Salvador is, but I guarantee that the U.S. doesn't want to set the example of this is something that's right. acceptable under the paradigm, right? So, right. I mean, if I have dollar-valued assets, I'm very much incentivized to try to crack down on that. And I mean, they might start nice, but they don't have to end that way. And uh, former President Trump chimed in on, well, not Twitter or Facebook or any. Uh, traditional social media, of course. Oh, yeah, because of course, because, you know, God forbid right. you can speak there. <laughs> and, and Trump said, I think Bitcoin's a scam. It's uh, it's a threat to the dollar and the banking system. And I want a world in which the dollar is supreme. Hey, at least he's being honest. I mean, and, he is self-consistent, right? I mean, yeah, it's right. funny because like, people got mad at him about that because Trump is often associated with being this anti-establishment figure. But more than being anti-establishment, he's a, a U.S. nationalist, right? Absolutely. So if your goal to preserve the sovereignty of the U.S. government as it is, that, you know, I mean, that is self-consistent. And back to your Saddam reference is, is how many, you know, little the probability of being involved in the foreign affairs, let's say euphemistically of a foreign country that has oil since 1971, since we abandoned gold and went to the quote unquote petrodollar, which is a whole nother tangent is if that's what the military industrial complex has done in response to the petrodollar, then imagine what they'll do when they realize Bitcoin is the number one threat to the U S dollar, the Euro, in the fiat central bank fractional reserve system and really the the fi financial system as a whole the way the way it works currently i mean are you sure it's that much of a threat because like that's the thing i've been pondering for a little while now i think that you know the way the cartels are working they're trying at least right now they're trying to see if they can accommodate it and take it over right um i mean like like it was funny because you just you know oh a few hours before this i was tweeting about the possibility of uh, a Bitcoin ban because, you know, the FBI recently recovered all that Bitcoin that was supposedly paid to those hackers for the pipeline. Well, not all of it, but like part of it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we can get into the implications of that, you know, <clears throat> Intel Pro. Uh, but uh, if anybody wants to look some stuff up as far as that is concerned, that'll be interesting. But um, going back to the possibility of a ban, I always thought that if they ever tried to quote unquote ban Bitcoin, it would happen by first making it a legal requirement because of like terrorism or whatever to uh, make everybody use a centralized exchange and then afterwards just imposing regulations until until bitcoin is the same as a dollar so how have we banned cash over the last 50 years i mean it's not banned but how have we made cash less less of a uh, presence in the economy i mean they promoted credit cards like crazy right isn't that like sure. the whole goal right yeah 
So like, you know, people use less cash now because of that. Uh, KYC, AML, Bank Secrecy Act. Right. It's, it's very difficult to touch cash that's over three grand on any transaction. Right, because you have to report. I think was it like if you withdraw more than like ten thousand dollars? Yeah, but banks will file uh, SARs, <clears throat> suspicious activity reports, anything over three grand. Um, Are you serious? Every, yeah, I didn't know every, that. every bank is basically a rat uh, reporting, acting on behalf of the of the FBI, IRS. Um, it's not like a binding, like there's an investigation, but they have to file reports. Um, but anyways, That's carrying funny. the analogy is. Uh, how would they ban guns? Well, it's hard to go and get each person guns, especially since they're gun owners, but you could, you could cripple the supply chain of ammunition. Right. Which they're doing right now. Right. How do you ban meat? Well, you can't stop people from eating beef, but you can cripple the supply chain of beef. Yeah. Which is why, you know, we all have to go buy some land, raise a few cows. Sure. Um, I'm going to get Bowtie Farmer on here at some point. I want to hear about him. Oh uh, yeah. Actually sounds cool. pretty good. So on the theme of, centralized exchanges, they make it difficult to transfer between crypto wallets and be legal, be above the law. Right. And they make it more difficult, say, to get fiat into Bitcoin. There's a lot more restrictions. And uh, so kind of forcing everyday Joe Smoes, you were just transferring money in wallets to basically be criminals because it's a transaction that's not reported. It's considered cash and you're illegally trading, moving cash around like a drug dealer. Okay. So then, yeah, if, if they go around that way, I mean, because I think it'll be even easier though, wouldn't it, right? Because the blockchain is already public. They don't even have to wait for reporting requirements. If they have the right exactly. kind of artificially intelligent program, they could just track all of it. And what Chainalysis is doing out of DC, uh, they've helped IRS, FBI, DOJ, do a bunch of things. The Twitter hack last summer where the celebrity accounts were asking for Bitcoin donations, they were involved in that. For example, a chain analysis, they're starting to tie real world identities to specific wallets and specific transactions like it's it's and there's a use case for Monero and other other tokens and privacy coins. It's uh, so so is that how you defend against that? I mean, like, like I mean, uh, you and I, are, I think, are both concerned about this. And to be honest, I'm not sure that I've actually taken enough actions to protect myself from the possibility of this kind of regulation, even though I do see it coming. I mean, is it sufficient to just buy whatever coins through Monero? I mean, how, how would you make sure that this is an issue in the future? So a lot of these altcoins are really testing grounds. If if something works, Bitcoin then adopts it. Like, yes, we've got ERC-20, Ethereum. Now you've got Binance, Smart Chain, Solana. And now all of a sudden we've got stacks allowing us to build smart contracts and dApps on Bitcoin. It's slow. It's slow to change. But it's almost like the constitution at the federal level. And you got cities and states testing out different things and experimenting. And then if something works, then it gets slowly eventually added to the federal uh, constitution. It's so, so you think that in the long term, there are going to be ways to anonymize transactions, even on chains like you know Ethereum or Bitcoin? Correct. Ah, okay. That's, that's interesting. So that, is that going to use like, like probably like what the bouncing around model or whatever, where they, where they send it through like a, a million different wallets? The uh, the mixing, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not that technical how how it actually pull off. But the, to make an analogy, sharding, uh, that's yeah. how you can do decentralized cloud storage. Right. Is you're not connecting A and B because there's a million fragments and they come together and you have some probabilistic sum of those fragments. It's yes. Uh, I, I see a future 
where it's not just governments cracking down on transactions and legality. But right now, and Jay Powell said a couple months ago that Bitcoin is digital gold. It's volatile, mm-hmm. speculative, blah, blah, blah. Right now, it's digital gold. Trillion dollar market cap, it's got another 10x to go before it's gold. Until the point where Bitcoin is is threatening bonds or stocks as a store of value, but that's corporations, but bonds, government's ability to raise money. Then Bitcoin becomes an ultimate threat because instead of institutions, corporations, other governments buying U.S. bonds, they're like, hey, no, we'll buy Bitcoin. We'll buy a Bitcoin bond and we'll get a decent interest rate. And at that point, remember the Protestant Reformation had 100 years of inquisition and heresy. Hopefully there is an equivalent of heresy and inquisition and 100 years of killing each other. Yeah, see, like that that's the that's the actual defense mechanism that I've sort of been looking at with all of this cuz I mean I, I think just to touch on a few of the topics you brought up earlier I think an extension of the logic we've been describing so far is that it would make sense sooner rather than later to arrange your life such that you're a kind of nomad I suppose right I think the like digital the, nomad the digital nomad yeah like the, the era of having like massive you know separate properties is probably over. Uh, I mean, having one property for yourself makes sense. I mean, we all, you know, talk about having a farm. And I think like that sort of thing is actually kind of fun. I mean, I, I like the idea of living on a farm, or, like that, that sort of thing, being a little bit more independent from the system super, at large. Super family compound. Right? Yeah. I, 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 I like a few farm. families that are friends or maybe cousins, right. et cetera. Right, exactly. No, no, I think that that adds a lot of value. I think like, isn't it weird? Because like, this is maybe, you know, a little bit off topic, but it's kind of funny that like the United States has this bizarre model of like a nuclear family where it's like a mom and a dad and the kids and that's it. Right. Because like, I, I'm I'm Greek. And, you know, my my culture is extremely different. Okay, we have very tight relationships with cousins, with grandparents, great grandparents, and very often they all live like within a few hundred feet of each other for generations. And that's just been how they do it. And they're they're very happy that way. Um, And I find that that's something I'm missing in America. And it's kind of interesting how all this stuff might, you know, bring a resurgence of that into a culture that, you know, seems like it's missing. On that note, Sponge, I actually moved uh, earlier this year to be closer to family where I have a bunch of aunts and uncles and cousins. And that was kind of strategic looking at the next 10 years is I see it just, you're so much more connected involved because you got your family members nearby and then you've got their friends and different stuff going on in their lives. And it's just, it's literally a super family. And I, I think that's, that's returning to our, our more natural state where we have these tribes, we have super families. And we're not supposed to be sitting alone in our house with 2.5 kids, a golden retriever named Fido and a white picket fence. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it's that kind of camaraderie that I think a lot of people are missing. Uh, I mean, amongst men, amongst women, even amongst kids. I mean, when I, when I was a little kid, I, I lived in Greece for a few years. I mean, we, we didn't know what a video game was because, you know, all the kids in the neighborhood, you know, and half of us were cousins, you know, would just, you know, get kicked out of the house by our parents and just told to go run outside, go figure out a stick, you know, jump off a cliff, do whatever. I mean, we were by the water. I mean, when I say jump off a cliff, I mean, like into the ocean. I don't mean just like, <laughs> like go harm yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A little free diving. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was a good time. Um, 
but like th- that's how we used to live and you know it, it wasn't nearly as lonely and you didn't have these instances of like bizarre bullying or whatever because like at the end of the day you're all family you know uh there, there are bonds that keep you together that are stronger than just mere circumstance absolutely uh back to the sovereign individual there's yeah. a there's a paragraph in that book, which plan B actually retweeted uh, a couple weeks ago. So remember this book is written in the nineties author goes as governments realize that money wealth can be sent anywhere in the world can escape tax heavy jurisdictions. They'll realize that their only defense mechanism is to slow down the movement of people. He goes, there will be quote, or I'm paraphrasing here, a pandemic, some biological outbreak of warfare. Oh boy. Justify travel bans, immigration restrictions, and lockdowns, restricting the movement of people because the money, there is no longer a tyranny of location. The money can go anywhere. Do you think that this one was in that way deliberate? Is it like, I, I can see in the long term them using this as uh, leverage, like after the fact, but. I'm not totally convinced that this first pandemic and lockdown was necessarily a direct result of. Neither do I. And, and at the end of the day, I don't think it matters whether, and they've got this stuff in the news now with the, it leaked out of the Wuhan lab or it came out of a bat's asshole. Well, no, it totally leaked out of the lab. That, that part, it, it, well, that's fine. it doesn't actually matter yeah, yeah. why it happened. The result is the same. Right. Whether it was an well, accident or intentional, the result is the same. No, 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 no. I mean, it matters a little bit, right? It, it, it matter. It matters because I mean, geopolitically, it matters because it, uh, it because we were funding that lab, you know. And, and we're getting lost in the weeds here, Sponge. Ah, that's true. It's true. Nation states aren't as relevant because uh, mm. people form their own sovereign communities because their wealth is sovereign. Their property rights don't depend on a government on monopoly of violence. So, at the end of the day what caused COVID or not doesn't really matter. The result is the same lockdowns, travel restrictions, travel bans. And so it almost poses the question, did COVID cause Bitcoin to pop in the last 12 months or did the rise of Bitcoin cause COVID? Yeah, that's, that's remarkable. I I, I don't know the answer and I don't (laughs) claim to do actually knows the answer. Uh, I find the result is the same, and, and I'm into flying, for example, uh, aviation, and I think I, I've tweeted a couple times, only only half jokingly, flying one way tickets for free. I'm take I'll take your uh, DJs to DJN Island. Just <laughs> sign your your NFT from Rafiki, your avatar, and that's your uh, that's your one way ticket. Uh, <laughs> no return trips so. though. Yeah, the ability to move because when shit hits the fan, roads won't be accessible. Now you can go by sea, but you're limited to coasts and certain navigable rivers. So, so flying, private flying, is your least worst option. Your best option is to be in a location that's relatively safer with the resources you need. I gotta push back a little bit on. I gotta push back a little bit on the sea comment there. You can get pretty far with the sea, right? You can surprised. get the coast and some rivers. Well, no, no, the coast is big. It's not a small thing to have the coast. The coast is I'm a long way. If you're, if you're in middle America, right? Oh, how far are you going to try to get in a boat? Well, I mean, like, if you're in Florida, you got the whole East Coast, you got the Gulf, you can go to the South America, Central America, you're chilling. 
Yeah, you know, you make a really good point, Barbara. I think like both before when I was referring to the government as us, which is like really ironic, like because I, I didn't realize I have that 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 frame that's sort of ingrained in me. I also think I have a Florida frame too, because you know I'm here and I'm on the water, and to me it's, it's just like, oh yeah, of course I'll just gra- grab a sailboat. I'm good to go, man. Like, right. <laughs> no, you're right. There's a lot of people in Middle America. They're not going to be able to make it. Maybe they should move to the coasts. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a good self preservation thing with with all this the stuff that's happening. It's so back to the El Salvador and the Jack, whatever his name of strike. He was on stage crying and he's, he's just saying, we're going to die in this fucking hill. And I, in some ways, especially these people who are, are visible public figures might die in the hill. You know, who did they go for first? The most public figures at the time. Right. And it's, it's, there's so many analogies and parallels to the Protestant Reformation that the, the monetary reformation, Bitcoin, separation of state, is a one in five hundred year event or more or, or less frequent. And there would have to be some kind of transition, ugliness from industrial age to information age. Hopefully it's short and hopefully it's 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 not that bloody, but what evidence is there that that nation states, central banks Financial institutions, military industrial complex would just give up and let it all go. No, they certainly won't. There's going to be a big pushback. My my, uh, line in the sand that I've been talking about for a while now has been uh, whether or not they impose a thing called the value added tax or VAT. And for those listeners who don't know what that means, uh, that's referring to what's effectively a sales tax on business to business transactions. Right. Everyone's used to paying a consumer sales tax, which is what well, let's apply at checkout for most uh, non-food items at a store. And uh, that's usually like you know five to seven percent, like depending on like where you live and stuff. And now that tax does not exist when businesses sell uh, raw materials, for example, to each other before the product is made. And part of that is to part, part of the reason why the US does that is to encourage you know, the use of specialized separate businesses at a different point in the supply chain. Um, Europe, on the other hand, and actually every OECD country, except for the United States, has a thing called the value-added tax, which effectively penalizes uh, the use of any uh, company that's not vertically, vertically integrated. And so that gets really heavily encouraged and it creates a kind of monopoly uh, because, you know, with if you control every part of your supply chain from start to finish, then, you know, it's very hard for anyone to compete with you. So I, I've always been saying that that's like the point where I'm just going to get out of Dodge. You know, if they start doing that, it's, it's time to bounce because it's, it's going to get ugly from there. What I fear is the, the moment you realize it's time to, to pull the trigger or pull the shoot, if you will, you're a little too late. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. What a time to be alive, though. I yeah, think. let's switch the topic to something a little bit lighter, okay? Absolutely. I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about spirituality. Uh, how, you know, you mentioned that you want to keep a sovereign mind. Uh, how do you do that? Keep what in mind? A sovereign mind. How do you make your mind sovereign? sovereign? <clears throat> Consider all the stimulus in our modern world: TVs, people talking. And of course, your phone's got a million things going on, a million miles a minute. How much of your thoughts are really 
are really your own versus it's what something else or someone else kind of put into your mind. How often do people sit alone with their thoughts and reflect, observe their own thoughts and feelings, isolated of outside stimulus? Your body, your spirit, your life is an extension of the thoughts and feelings you have. Your mindset determines everything else. It determines how you act, how you talk, how you speak, how you feel, how you love, how you play, how you exercise, how you talk shit on a StreamYard podcast at 10 o'clock at night. Having a separation of mind and matter, if sovereign individual or sovereign money, say Bitcoin is a separation of money and state, sovereign mind is a separation of your own thoughts and awareness from the noise and pollution from the outside. And at the end of the day, we're all connected, but only when you're alone with your thoughts, meditation, deep psychedelic trips, near-death experience, and that master switch while freediving, potentially, do you realize there's this unity, this oneness, this interconnectedness of all living things? But the paradox is you actually have to be alone to realize how you aren't alone. Wow. Wow. That's actually pretty profound. So how have you explored this stuff so far? I mean, can you describe what some of your experiences? I mean, a lot of our, our audience is very curious about things for, you know, I mean, uh, the one that everyone seems to gravitate towards is the psychedelics because Absolutely. I think, I think it has a little bit of that, uh, appeal because they made it like illegal not everyone's curious you know right right <laughs> as soon as you tell someone no that's the only thing they want right absolutely uh, so uh i mean what what are your experiences with that i mean which sort of psychedelics have you tried and what was that like so hypothetically speaking for informational purposes only, oh yes yes entirely hypothetically of course because uh, you wouldn't do such a thing it's um you have to try a peyote and that's 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 on the list uh, but ayahuasca a few times, DMT in different forms, uh, many LSD, psilocybin, um, salvia a couple times, uh, ketamine and, and DXM, which is robo tripping, a few times. Those are those are a little different disassociatives. And I'm definitely forgetting. Oh, MDMA, but uh, one and done. I, I definitely wouldn't do that again. It's how about we take one of those as an example? Maybe you can describe uh, yeah, what it's yeah. like. Uh, maybe go for the ayahuasca. Which right. one is the most powerful experience for you? Was so, give an example is many, I say, let's say college friends, but they've tried acid, they've tried LSD. And you find most think, oh, this is pretty cool. And their thoughts are racing and they're kind of fucked up and it's, they see funny things. And then a small minority recognize. How much their their awareness, their intelligence is expanded. Ayahuasca, the best way to describe ayahuasca, limitless pill. Bradley Cooper, limitless pill. Ayahuasca. Your mind is, it's as if you have a thought and a connection without analyzing it. And then for you to try to download it into words, into a lower level of communication, it's actually very difficult to do a backwards analysis. 
uh, almost as if you're having telepathy with yourself. And when you're taking ayahuasca in a group, in some ways you're feeling and transferring emotion and images without actually speaking. You're understanding each other without saying a word. And it wasn't until really DMT and ayahuasca where I had the feeling that we have an interconnect, we have a soul, we have some kind of life energy that's immortal. The sacks of flesh expire after 80, 90 years if we're lucky. Uh, but there is no spiritual death. There's just a new beginning. And I, I was having these, these consistent visions across different psychedelics. And it was an, a kind of almost faintly white ghostly image. And it kind of looked like my father, kind of looked like, like my grandpa, a couple, an uncle, a great uncle, and older photos. Maybe it was me at an older age. I couldn't really tell. And then I realized it doesn't matter. It's all the same. It's all, it's all one interconnected consciousness and spirit. It's, it wasn't until ayahuasca that I kind of wrapped my head around, it's okay that we're going to die. In fact, death is probably the greatest thing that happens to life, to quote Steve Jobs. If we didn't face our mortality, like that movie Time with Justin Timberlake, where everybody's like 25 and lives forever, you wouldn't actually be talking to Sponge and having a podcast at night, talking shop, because there's no time of the essence. I got all the time in the world. Why do anything if I have eternal youth? It's death forces us to prioritize and execute. It forces us to determine what's important to us and what's not. And it wasn't until ayahuasca DMT that I really became comfortable with the concept of my own mortality. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, tell you what, you, you built it up a lot, man. Okay. When we go and do this later, I'm oh, sorry, we hypothetically do this hypothetically, this summer. Hypothetically, hypothetically. hypothetically. I, have, I have a lot to look forward to. I've never tried that before, but my gosh, that's going to be a heck of a time. <laughs> to make a, a side note, everyone can relate to having experiences with certain friends or family. Maybe you went skydiving or uh, you went camping in the cabins and you got really messed up one weekend or you went for you went backpacking. A high intensity or a long duration experience with a group of close friends or family members. And you can find like a, you find your bond and your connection strengthens. Those so, who have taken acid or LSD or shrooms recreationally a couple times, you don't really know your friend or your family member until you've tripped with them. You don't really know how their mind works until you throw them in with this drug and you see their mind blow up and then try to collect the pieces. And for some people, they take this drug and they've got underlying anxiety or, or you know, bipolar or some, something going on there that they've kind of bottled up and you really see it come out for a few hours and you can really observe it and kind of um, try to understand it. Have you found that under those circumstances that people are able to actually make progress towards fixing those kinds of conditions? I mean, I'm Absolutely. not sure. Absolutely. Wow. Almost, oh. almost all cases of people tripping with, they've, they come away feeling at least temporarily what was anxiety, depression, whatever their, their 
a big decision they're grappling their head around. They, they come away with more clarity. They might not have the answers, but they have the questions, the avenues approached to go pursue the answer. They, they get a little closer to um, some kind of resolution or, or peace with whatever is bothering them. <clears throat> wow. Okay. All right, folks. So, wow. That's definitely something to look forward to. I want to take us away from this and bring us a little bit back more to topics associated with the jungle itself. Right. So we talked crypto, we talked a little bit of spirituality. Now let's talk, you know, current events. What are, what are you up to? What sort of projects are you running right now? Oh, absolutely. Uh, when you called, I've been uh, working on building a website. I, I had one not published with the dot crypto uh, unstoppable domains. It's basically your website is on the IPFS interplanetary file system and your website, your domain dot crypto is an NFT and also serves as a is a ERC 20 wallet. So you can sell that domain, that website in the future. You can build on it. You own it. You don't pay reoccurring fees. There's no centralized server. It's ownership of a website, just like how an NFT provides ownership of a photo or video or audio clip. Unfortunately, it's still pretty limited in terms of like integrating an e-commerce software, like a WooCommerce or Shopify or so on. So I'll be building a traditional .com, Bowtie Barbary, uh, using WordPress uh, to have both like blog and e-commerce. So for example, I'll have my Substack posts, some of my Substack posts, Twitter threads, um, different digital content, and then e-commerce. So for example, yesterday I released a playing card deck, poker deck of the yeah, Bowtie. Dude, that, that was sick. That was really cool. I was really happy. I, I was on one of those cards. I was number two, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah th- that was that was amazing. I'm definitely buying a pack, and I think everybody else should too. I mean, is that going to be available on your on the store on on the Bazaar store that you already have on the OGN one? Well, or is- okay, so the Origin store, no, the playing card no. deck isn't there. That's just Banks or Zeros, right? Um, Banks or Zeros coffee mug, face mask, stickers. Uh, the playing card deck. Um, first day and first 20, not even 24 hours, uh, got about a dozen sales. So, uh, definitely, definitely looking forward to, um, doing more. And I, I eventually like to do oh, more. Hold, hold, hold on, hold on. I can buy this. Where is it? The playing card decks. Yeah. Yeah. The links in the, the original tweet, I'll, I'll, I'll DM it. DM yeah. you after but hey, Sammy, I want that. Are you kidding? The first tweet, the first tweet with the photo, the link wouldn't open up a preview, but the, the link in the first tweet. Oh, okay. that's the link I to the shop. That's the link to buy the, the playing card deck. Oh, um, you don't have to make an account. You just click on it, choose if you want poker chips or the poker deck and uh, put in your PayPal or credit card or whatever and uh, hit send. Um, oh, hell I, don't yeah, get, I don't see any of your information. So it's, it's a, it's a third party checkout software. So I have no fucking idea who's actually ordering. I just know about a dozen people bought a pack of cards and are going to go gamble. Sounds good to me, man. Absolutely. Uh, on that note, though, uh, we'll be hosting with Bowtie Ace on Tuesday nights a virtual poker game. It'll start cash game Tuesday, June 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern. We'll adjust based on feedback and, and if we can fill a table. Um, but it's a blockchain poker. You Bitcoin deposit. There's no KYC, no registration. Uh, and you can you can play poker anonymously with, with people all around the world. And it's all settled in crypto. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's going to be awesome. I'll jump in there. Steal everyone's money. Right. Right. Look into, uh, yes. 
that, that'd be to, good. Uh, I lose my money to the the DJs and the <laughs> banks. That's for sure. Perfect. Okay, so we, we covered those two. What, what else you got going on? So long run, uh, Bulldog and I have been talking about doing a been fishing with the Bowtie Babes idea of you know how like Bowtie Foxy has the you know a different photo of some random girl. Well, instead of like stealing some girl's image and putting it up there as the jungle, oh, you, you want to pay models. I want to pay, you know, I'll pay her crypto or dollars, whatever she wants and her photo. So I have her photo and there'll be some kind of banks or zeros, bow tie branding. You oh, know, whether it's on a shirt, she's got a coffee mug, a sticker, whatever. Yes. It's, cute. it's got banks or zeros somewhere in the photo. And then it'll be uh, encrypted as an N- NFT, minted as an NFT. Oh, no, and we'll have a little oh. open sea marketplace. <laughs> And these NFTs can eventually function as trading cards. So you'll have right. the girl's name or her Instagram or whatever she's promoting. You'll have her height, weight, hips, cup size, uh, weight. Uh, and then, you know, maybe where she's from or a couple of cute questions like, oh, outdoor date idea with a, some, some bullshit, but almost kind of like virtual trading cards of, uh, of honeys. And eventually idea that the brand grows and now you've got one of the Instagram models are reaching out to get promoted, to get uh, NFT and maybe paid a little to be promoted on the Bowtie Jungle community where you got eventually, hopefully thousands, tens of thousands of mainly guys uh, in the age range of 20 to 40 something uh, um, who want to uh, just, I don't know, fool around with some uh, uh, NFT uh, model model shots. Well, this is brilliant. You know they're going to pillory us in the press for this. Like, if we pull this off, there there are going to be articles written about this. I guarantee it. It's going to be like a matter of minutes. It's uh, it's 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 degeneracy. It's degeneracy. Both I love days. it. I love it. I'm, I'm I'm such a fan of this. This is really going to be something impressive to pull that off. So I want to talk a little bit about the NFTs real quick. We should give a shout out to Rafiki for making those. Hey, uh, Sponge, uh, yeah. you buy the pack of cards. Notice how Rafiki is the king. Ooh, that's true. Because I had to pay tribute to the man who's well, he'll probably make you know a solid fifteen Ethereum selling the uh, once everyone mints their uh, avatars. But it's uh, yeah, he put it all together. He also did a bunch of the avatars himself, and uh, um, he made our our super family of of digital degens uh, for the eternity. It's brilliant. Yeah, no, it really is brilliant. I mean, the NFTs too, what's really interesting about them is that they were made on like the ERC, like 15 something, what's it called? Uh, uh, seven, uh, the, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm messing it up. NFT, yeah. ERC, 721. No, 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 there's a new version of it. I know because I was talking with Marco about this uh, in the, the Discord a few days ago. And he was saying that actually the way our NFTs are made specifically, you could actually subdivide them into smaller shares. So long term, these NFTs could actually turn each of us individually into effect, the effectively a crypto public traded corporation. Oh, fractional re- fractional shares of a, one NFT. Yeah, our no NFTs. Shit. The our NFTs already can do that. That's already a thing. It's built into it. I'm not sure exactly how to do that. That's a different story. We'll have to work that one out because I think we're all figuring out the space. But, when we get to uh, that bridge, when we get to that yeah. bridge. But but apparently that's actually a thing that can happen. So like being part of this first set, you know, once it you know it stops, right? And of course the fact that they're finite is part of what gives it value. Um, you know that that's uh, that's going to be in, increasingly valuable over time, especially because you don't necessarily even have to relinquish ownership of your NFT no, entirely, no. right? Very much like a founder starting some you know new startup, you you know you can grow your brand 
and right. then and then afterwards you know sell off pieces of it to people who can trade them i mean eventually that might actually be a thing a way, way to invest well, in celebrities eventually you'll have say the lebron yeah. james exactly royalties or, or contracts licensing his brand you have mm-hmm. to buy fractional ownership of his nft and that will be traded on secondary markets where all the dgens can speculate on options on a lebron james uh, royalty contract or whatever there we go humans will become sovereign corporations yes in of themselves but wow. if corporations are people as citizens united said in 2010 then i guess they would that would make them sovereign individuals not sovereign corporations <laughs> well i mean I, th- I think that the problem with citizens united was that it was one directional right i think that this this is actually the the sort of like the the, the clap back as it were right you know uh, you you had the one direction you know making corporations into people which is sort of screwing over you know all, all the little guys for you know a good few decades now and uh now for the first time we actually have the technology to do the reverse where you can turn a person into a corporation um and i think that's going to be really remarkable um in terms of the long term you know monetary effects i mean it, it, because like, imagine that, imagine that there's a way to at least incentivize, you know, investment in in some people. I mean, imagine if you could invest in a person by buying a share of their NFT associated with themselves, right? That that that's huge. That's that, that that's a that's a way to distribute opportunity to people uh, that never would have been there otherwise. This intermediation of the middleman between creator and consumer. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's, 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 that's the future, man. That's the future. All right, Barbary. Uh, that's, uh, I think, I think we've gone on for a good 45 minutes or so now. Um, I mean, are there any topics that you, you want, want to bring up that I haven't uh, asked you about so far? No, oh, sponge. I could talk all day. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, yeah, let's definitely call it. Uh, and, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll sync up again. Oh, absolutely! Yes, you're welcome back here. Somewhere anytime. under the sea. <laughs> Somewhere under the sea. All right, folks. Uh, thanks for listening in. Uh, this has been Under the Sea with Bowtie Sponge and Bowtie Barbary. If you would like to be featured next on this podcast, and I'll be interviewing just about every jungle animal I can get my hands on. Well, my ears on, I suppose. Uh, you're more than welcome to shoot me a DM on Twitter, and I will try to schedule that out. All right, Barbary, thank you for being here. Cheers. Thanks, Bunch.